Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, and welcome to the Beatles Films Podcast. I'm Matt Looker. I'm Ed Williamson. We're both professional film writers and Fab Four fans, and normally each week we discuss a different movie about starring or inspired by the Beatles. But this time, as a special bonus episode, we wanted to cover the brand new and last final, this time we promise, single Now and Then, with its accompanying music video by acclaimed filmmaker Peter Jackson, as well as the 12-minute short documentary about the making of the recording. But first, let's quickly cover off our reactions to the single itself. Ed, what did you think of the song? Um, Has Paul taken a sad song and made it better? (laughs) <laughs> he's good at that isn't he um it is uh i think it's lovely so i mean now and then because I, I have heard the demo before i did hear it years ago but when and i think you did the same actually uh, from what we said the other day that uh, when i heard that they were going to do something with now and then i deliberately didn't go back and listen to the demo because i wanted to be surprised by it and it's not i mean so that the song is not a, an enormous surprise in general i i kind of I find it quite funny that the three piano songs that John recorded in the Dakota, uh, which they kind of, which Yoko gave Paul on cassette, Free as a Bird, Real Love, and Now and Then, uh, are all basically the same rhythm because John Lennon played piano in the same way I play piano, i.e. <laughs> chords. <laughs> yeah. Chords in a, you know, he's not, he wasn't a sort of, he was, he was a sort of perfectly good pianist but not an amazing an amazing one. He essentially could back himself with chords, which is what he was doing. So they're all kind of in the same rhythm. It's also interesting that presumably that's that's the extent of his home demos. Like uh, it surprised me there weren't any unused home demos of him playing like a, a rock and roll riff, you know, that are just on an acoustic guitar or something. And there was something like that that they could use. Yeah, I wonder. I mean, I, I, I do remember, I think he said that he sort of had got into the mood of, 
writing songs on piano rather than guitar because he didn't know the, the piano as well. And so he could sort of surprise himself a bit, you know, and he felt that the sort of accidents it created led to interesting places, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a, I think it's a really lovely song. I mean, listen, it, it, it's not like it's the best Beatles song. Of course it isn't. If it was as good as Lady Madonna, then it wouldn't have sat in a cupboard for 25 yeah, years. Right. Yeah. You know? Um, but I think that, that what they've done brilliantly is create a story around it and told us that story very effectively. And I think the story itself augments and complements the song perfectly. And I think it's, I think it's nice and I think it's uh, emotional and uh, I think uh, they've done a good job all around. Yeah, I agree. I, I didn't really have any expectations at all because um, I hadn't even heard the demo. And when I knew that they were going to work on this, I deliberately didn't seek that out so that I could be surprised. What I was surprised by was how much I instantly loved it. I've seen a lot of people talk about how it's growing on them over time. But yeah. I guess maybe because I didn't have any expectations going in, I just found the whole thing really really lovely very uh it's a very emotional song it's a lovely melody i think that john's the melody of his singing does surprise you in places which is nice it feels sort of fresh in that way sometimes yeah um and i know there's a lot of debate about whether or not it should really count as a beatles song i don't really understand that i think i think if you look at all of the factors by which you might define what makes a beatles song this ticks all of those boxes you know they're all playing on it which isn't true of of every Beatles song, um, yep. the the idea that Paul and Ringo are much older now, don't see why that should count against the recording at all. You know, the the idea presumably being that a Beatles song can only be a Beatles song if it was released specifically in that ten year period, um, which yep. doesn't make sense to me when other bands are allowed to grow old and change and stuff over time. Um, mm-hmm. So so yeah, I I really like the song on first listen, uh, but also to the Beatle argument or adding to the Beatle debate it does feel like there have been a lot of elements that have been added to the song to make it feel Beatlesque enough yeah there, there's a there's a lovely sort of um guitar feel just before it heads into the chorus which makes me think of Abbey Road and Let It Be Sessions the kind of thing they used to do on a lot of those songs the strings have like a nice sort of staccato element to them which immediately reminded me of Elena Rigby the, the strings at the end go a little bit surreal and it brought to mind I'm the Rawls. So yeah, and and I think that by association, there are parts of the song where immediately my head was like, oh, that sounds a bit like that and that sounds a bit like that, which is enough for me to think it, it fits neatly in the canon in its place as the last song made 30 years after the last, last song. Yeah, I think um, that the, they've got enough elements in there to make it sound sort of beetly without making it sound sort of too beetly, if you like, like a sort of pa- pastiche of of beetleness, you know. So if, if you think about like George's song, When We Was Fab, which is like very much, which I think Jeff Lynne produced, like, and I think he sort of must have said to Jeff Lynne, just make this as beetly as you can. And he really went all out with the mellotrons and the strings and all that kind of stuff, you know. Back then, long time ago, when grass was green Woke up in a daze Arrived like strangers in the night Fab Long time ago, when we was fab 
you know, because sometimes there are things. I was in a I was in a pub the other week, and they were playing a song, and I thought, is this this sounds very Beatley. What is it? And it was sowing the seeds of love by Tears for Fears, but it's got that sort of baroque. A Beatlesque uh, thing going on, you know. So, but now and then isn't doing quite that. But actually, it, ra- it raises the question of like, um, do you, do you need to make something sound Beatly when it is the Beatles? Isn't it just <laughs> yes, the exactly. fact that it is the Beatles performing the song in and of itself makes it Beatly? Right? It has it in fact redefined what Beatly is. You know? Yes, exactly. Yeah. The other question about all of that that people have been debating uh, a, a lot online is again this question of. To what extent does AI, the use of AI isolating John's vocal, make it not a Beatles record or not even a a proper authentic Lennon recording? The interesting thing about that is is that I feel like Paul made those perhaps slightly misguided comments earlier in the year where he said they've been using AI to finish the song and everyone immediately uh, went into uproar about uh, having a fake Lennon uh, on the song. And then that was obviously clarified that it was Peter Jackson's technology and that AI being used in that sense to just isolate the track. But I find it interesting that we sort of talk about that in terms of it being one or the other and not that the way I see that as being a, a bit more nuanced and a bit more a bit more of a grey area. Because no matter how the AI is being employed to isolate John's voice, there will be some cleaning up or some restoration of that recording that has gone into that process and i guess that in itself is immediately adding some embellishment to the recording using technology rather than you know just using the the, the recording as it stood on, on its own so you know i guess the question is where do you draw the line and you can't really easily answer that question but also don't think you should need to answer that question because you know the beatles themselves employed many technological tricks when they were around that led to their voices sounding different. And as Paul says in the documentary, uh, using new technology is something that the Beatles always uh, loved doing. So it shouldn't really take away from this idea that it's authentic or not, because it feels very much in keeping with the band either way. Yeah, I mean, what what is real and what is a trick? You know, I think that's that's kind of... That's, that's sort of where people's thoughts are going. Like, is this trickery of some kind? And is it there for... Because, you know... What uh, my limited understanding of what a sort of uh, machine learning can do in terms of extracting uh, someone's voice from a tape of a voice and a piano is that in doing that extraction, it fills in the gaps by learning what John Lennon's voice sounds like and putting in sort of three milliseconds here of John Lennon singing this note. Uh, and another three milliseconds over there to plug the, the little gaps it finds. I suppose that's very yeah. broadly what it's doing. And so John's voice that you hear. So, I mean, in, in the documentary, they make this really good effect where you, you just hear John's vocal track on its own sort of cleaned up and it sounds amazing, you know, and it's and it's quite a sort of heart-stopping moment as well. It really build is. up to it very effectively. Yeah. So it's not that, that what you're hearing there is an AI that sounds like John Lennon. It's... John Lennon with a few bits uh, where it had to separate if he was hitting the piano key at the exact same time as singing the note, then it has had to fill in that gap by taking how he would have sung it and planting it in there, that kind of thing. So uh, is that John Lennon or is it not John Lennon? This is a guy who certainly at one stage in his life 
prized authenticity above all things. You know, you should pro- probably factor that in as well. Uh, I, I, but I agree with you. I, I don't think it's a debate that particularly needs to be had. You know, because I mean, if they'd come to the conclusion, well, no, it's not. It's not proper. We shouldn't do it. I would much rather have this song than not have this song. You know, yeah. And, and this is the only, if this is the only way to do it, you know, then great. And, and I think you know when when the first AI comments from Paul surfaced, there was a whole space of people suddenly, you know, producing AI tracks. You know, here's what it would sound like if Paul sang "God Only Knows" and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I guess there's a question in people's minds of, well, what's the difference? between allowing that kind of thing and calling it a Beatles recording and the use of AI here to the minimal extent that you just explained. And the obvious difference is this is labelled as the Beatles. <laughs> this is an official release by mm. the Beatles. This is something that has been signed off on and sanctioned yeah. by the Beatles. So that makes it yeah. an official Beatles recording and everything else isn't. Yeah, absolutely. You know, But I suppose, does it mean that you know a, a few years from now, uh, someone at Apple you know, maybe wants... Paul and Ringo are gone. Think, well, what else is there lying around we can release? Do they get hold of uh, the Palace of the King of the Birds, i.e., an instrumental they recorded in the Let It Be sessions? I think, well, this is good, but we could we could get an AI to imagine the lyrics that John and Paul might have written for it, and we can get an AI to sing a John and Paul harmony vocal on it. You know that kind of thing. Uh, You know, so I mean, I think uh, I would probably think that was going too far. But who knows? Like maybe we, we as a society reach a point in a few years' time. We probably will, whereby uh, artificial intelligence has been embedded into our day to day lives to such an extent that these things just feel kind of normal. In a way, at the moment, they feel feel a bit scary. Uh, I imagine we'll probably all have accepted them a bit more in a few years' time. You know, you've reached a very serious part of the debate when you actually use the phrase "we as a society." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. The, <laughs> the other element to all of this as well that it, it probably shouldn't go unreferenced is that Giles took actual recordings of the backing vocals from other songs and inserted them here which I don't see as much debate about <laughs> you know like that in that that presumably um raises just as many questions about inauthenticity but no one seems worried about that yeah, but I, I suppose there's um in, in terms of doing that um at least that's taking like actual uh, vocals that they performed albeit on another song and applying them to another one. So arguably not that much different to uh, the Love album or even uh gluing together the long medley on side 2 of Abbey Road, you know, uh, yeah. not not necessarily things that were again it's a question of where, where you draw that line I suppose. It's a really good point. I, I I think the Love album is a slightly different um thing because it's a it's positioned as a remix album. But yeah, it's a good point about the the Abbey Road medley. I think that that makes sense. I think uh, I think just on that as well. I don't know if you noticed, but um I I haven't been able to pick out the Eleanor Rigby backing vocals. But right at the very end of the guitar solo in the single, the backing vocals at that point feels very clearly to me like backing vocals from because like the the harmonies yeah. are just exactly exactly what you get from that song yes definitely so there are vocals from here there and everywhere in there as well apparently which i think i spotted but i couldn't tell you off the top of my head exactly where but no eleanor rigby uh, vocals no i can't maybe we should get an ai to extract it and uh, (laughs) (laughs) let's reverse engineer this thing (laughs) yeah Uh, but having said that as well it's actually also nice i think to hear older paul and older ringo 
um, on the recording, which yeah. you can pick out their voices. I particularly like hearing Ringo's really low now uh, you know when they sing the now and then part it's a really uh really deep voice but unmistakably him yeah yeah i i, I really like um it re- reminds me of um on carry that waits where they where they're all singing and you can R- ringo's is the most identifiable voice in yes. the whole thing because yeah cause, yeah it's completely unmistakable um yeah i really like the fact that i don't know if you remember but like i forget when it was but earlier this year sort of uh, randomly pen Gillette from penn and teller yeah like, claimed to have heard na- now and then and was saying um oh they've de-aged like paul's voice is in it but they've de-aged him so he sounds like he was in the 60s and everyone went a bit mad about that I mean, who knows whether that is what they did and then they saw the public reaction to that and decided to change it. But either way, it is a very good decision to have Paul's voice in it as it is now, but sort of a a bit lower in the mix than John's. And they can kind of harmonize together like they do like like they do when he does uh, I've Got a Feeling live, you know, the John duet thing. You know, I think that's a really good decision and I think it works. Yeah, but I I will also say that I think uh, my main takeaway from all of that is that Penn Gillette was then and remains a questionable authority on what is coming out of the Beatles pipeline at all times. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, he's not the first person I look to uh, <laughs> no. for information uh, <laughs> about uh, official Apple releases. You know, <laughs> if you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. But talking about having the older voices sit alongside the earlier recordings, that brings us quite neatly onto the concept for Peter Jackson's music video that accompanies the song. Yeah. Uh, what did you make of that? Well, I really like the video. Um, it, it's funny that, um, I don't know if you were watching the YouTube premiere, so if you if you if you're watching the YouTube premiere, there's a brief introduction from Paul at the start, which which takes about sort of 10 seconds or so and basically says, um, when we asked Peter Jackson to do it and he said, oh, I don't, I've never done a music video before and I'm not sure I can on this, uh, but we let him do it anyway. And I think he's passed the audition, I think he said. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, the concept is, um, I, I like the fact 
it's respectful, but it's not too serious. In fact, it's it's very funny in places, and I think that's a really good decision. Uh, this could have been so reverential, and it, it could have been really framed around like, uh, oh, we've got John's voice, and it and it's a ghost from the past, and all this kind of stuff. Mm. You know? And actually, it, it, it's nice that sort of there's footage of John in it that they've got from the Hello Goodbye video, where he's just mucking about and doing the twist and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I think I, I, I think it's really fun. I think there are some odd sort of uncanny valley choices that are made in it. But in general, I really like the concept and I think it's really well realized. Yeah, well realized is exactly it. I think it's, I think we said to each other yesterday before we'd uh, seen the music video that you don't hire Peter Jackson to do like a, a normal montage of, you know, here's lots of archive footage and stuff. So yeah. there were, I think we were both expecting there was always going to be a sort of a gimmick that was going to be used in the video. I think it's lovely. Mm. I think the, the footage where they suddenly appear alongside Ringo and Paul, um, <laughs> yeah. and and it looks like it looks enough like they're in the room. Yeah. George and John are in the room with them uh, for it to to be really quite lovely. I think the fact that they only almost only use footage of them mucking about is a really nice way of showcasing the Beatles via their personality rather than their musicianship, which we've spoken before about the importance in the past and how a lot of films tend to miss that sometimes. Yeah. Um, and I think by doing that, the uh, the contrast between the young and old versions of them actually becomes more powerful and more poignant and, and, and more emotional as a result by showing them having fun rather than by showing them all serious and you know, grave. Yeah, true. I, th- I think reminds me of something. I think George once said that the Beatles and Monty Python should get together and sort of form the ultimate music and comedy supergroup. You yeah. know, because he he, he really and it, you know and he sort of loved the Ruttles for that reason as well because he really got the idea that the Beatles were a laugh. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, um, yeah, and that that really comes across in this. Uh, the way that footage is used in the shot as well is really clever because I think Jackson employs a lot of tricks to make it feel like they're in the room more than they would do normally. And it's just really simple things you don't necessarily think about while you're watching. Like when the camera pans past the group, that footage sort of slightly blurs a little bit as it would do naturally if they were in shot. Um, Mm. There's, there's sort of a depth perception there where um, I think there's a great shot of John looking back and it looks like he's looking back at present day Ringo drumming and yeah, John's yeah, out yeah. of focus because the focus is on Ringo. And also they seem to have got the lighting right, which is yeah. nice, you know, to make that all seem like it's it's all in the same room. And also quite clever decisions made, I think, where the, the footage that's used uh, when they're actually playing their instruments is sort of generally enough that you can be kidded into thinking that they were playing along with that actual song. Yeah. You know, when they're singing, like it's it's like kind of like on a long note and it, it you know you could be mistaken for thinking that it's the same syllable you know it, it just feels very like a lot of work has gone into making it feel like they are part and parcel of this particular track yeah i think and obviously they've got footage of paul george and ringo playing the actual song in 1995 so that's kind of easy enough to marry up i, I think with things like this you can kind of go too far in trying to make it look like the person is actually mouthing the words of the song you know, like trying to find uh, uh, some footage of John singing the word now when he was alive, you know, you could end up just yeah, copying yeah. and pasting like three of them 
where you know it's like three different uh, him singing the words now and then yeah uh, from <laughs> yes, exactly. three three different videos of him you know but actually what what it's trying to do is capture a mood and it's it's doing that really effectively i, I really like the fact that when you see ringo uh, standing at the microphone singing and he's sort of mugging for the camera and he's loving it you know he's wearing a t-shirt with his own face on and you know and brilliance <laughs> you know it's exactly what you want from ringo but he's mirroring what john is doing in 1967 in the hello goodbye video you know i always thought like that that footage that uh, hello goodbye which they shot on uh, was it a west end theater it's probably the savile theater that brian epstein used to own i think and they're just kind of standing on stage playing the song and they are mucking about uh like stamping their feet and stuff but john in particular is sort of doing a thing where he's doing sort of Elvis impersonations and things like that. That's um, right, yeah. And, uh, and it's just in the era when he started to wear his glasses, and he's not wearing his glasses in this for whatever reason, uh, which kind of just makes him look a bit younger. And it's just I just always found it funny that in this sort of psychedelic era where you're sort of encouraged to believe that, um, oh, everything's getting – not everything's getting serious now, but they're sort of engaged with big concepts now. Um, mm. But he's just still mucking about doing the twists for the cameras, yeah. <laughs> just because he fancies it. You know, it's lovely to see. You're right. I, I think there were. I think the music video itself is filled with like little moments that just sort of raise a smile. But I also feel like it's a really. It ends really well. The bow, a nice, neat touch to Beatlemania with the sort of rows of girls in seats. Uh, supposedly mm. at live performances, they sort of out, and then the fading of the lights on Beatles as it you know really feels like a, a sort of a final touch uh to the video uh, and to 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 cap off of their entire career yeah yeah well you see one of the things about the beatles is one part of the appeal has always been that it's a story it's a really engaging story because it kind of has an end you know because they split up you know in the same way that uh, other bands who have just been going on and on and on since the 60s and like not not to knock them at all but like it's it's not as compelling and so i think putting a sort of proper end to this story it would have been i think i'm sure that paul is probably motivated at least in part by thinking about his legacy and what he wants to do with the time he has left you know i think i think yeah. he is probably starting to think in those terms a little bit i do get that impression you know with the stuff he's been releasing he's obviously been rooting around in his cupboards and thinking what else is there you know oh here's all the photographs i took when we were on tour in the early 60s i could do something with them you know he set up the exhibition at the national portrait gallery in london which i went to a few weeks ago it was absolutely brilliant and you know he's uh, releasing the lyrics book which is probably the closest we'll ever get to a mccartney autobiography so he's done the, the many years from now memoir but um but the, the lyrics is more of a sort of proper full life autobiography or close to it through the lyrics of his songs and discussion of them so i think he's thinking in those terms and i think he's probably thinking the beatles is the sort of defining artistic achievement of my life and it feels slightly unfinished and of course mm -hmm. you know the the thing about the, the now and then itself as a song is that John, I'm sure, wrote this song about Yoko to the extent he wrote it about anyone. I'm sure that's who he was thinking of, you know. But that doesn't diminish the idea that it means something to Paul, you know. That, yeah. uh, there is that story about someone, I think it was Carl Perkins, in the 80s, a few couple of years after John died, was sort of visiting Paul. It was sort of, um, play, uh, they were playing together on on some song. And, and Carl like, said the words now and then to Paul, who sort of went off and, had a bit of a cry and Linda explained like he still hasn't processed John's death and uh, the last phone call they had 
John used it sort of signed off by saying, think of me now and then old friend. I think it was, um, but it sort of, it, it made me think actually that one of the things, uh, about music and about musical instruments is that they can be a way of connecting people. So, so John Lennon can play chords on his piano in 1977 or 1978 in his, in his flat in New York. And then decades later, Paul McCartney can get this tape and he can go, oh, okay, so he's in A minor, I think. Okay, fine. So I can play, we'll work out the guitar chords and we can play along to it and I can add bass to this. So I know which notes to play because my instrument is tuned the same as his. And I think it's a really lovely idea that he can he can look at that, he can take the music that his friend played, and decades later, because of this system, uh, you know, of just sort of notation, I suppose it is, or just this system by which these instruments can be tuned to one another, then if I tune my instrument to yours, just like we tuned our guitars to each other when we were teenagers 65 years ago, then in some way the two of us are together again. You know, I think it's a really, it's a really lovely idea. It is, and yeah, it's universal, isn't it? And I think that it's, um, I think that's why the concept of the video works so well because you're seeing a very visual representation of that, and it, it feels powerful for that because it's not just combining the old and the young; it's combining old friends uh, that are separated by a death. You know, yeah. like you know, bringing. Lo- you know lost loved ones back into the present um all of those things just through the power of music yeah it's lovely although i think uh, although i don't think paul and ringo are in the same room are they in the- <laughs> they, they, yeah they look a little bit uh <laughs> yeah I, I don't think because yeah. uh, all, all of the because also in, in the documentary it does say uh oh and it's then it, ringo says oh and then paul sent me the files and yes. i drummed on them and sent them back you know <laughs> um on this note i I, th- I think i could be accused of reading too much into things and overthinking this a bit but i'm gonna present you a theory anyway uh the song starts with accounting and it's i I think there was a rumor beforehand that it was going to be george but it sounds like paul to me do you agree yes it sounds like paul to me yeah i think like you know if you have this idea that the that every inch of this song would have been really thought through and uh worked over for many months i think you can assume that the inclusion of that counting was considered important. I think one of the reasons why it's important is because I think it's on their first recording. Is that right? The counting? It's on the first song on their first album. Yeah. So, so it feels uh, like it's a sort of rounding things off. Yeah, I'm sure that's what it's intended to do. I feel like, and this is the point where you might say I'm overthinking it. I think it's very pointed that he counts in one, two, and then the right. three is very faded and there's no four. You know, I, I think that that it's, I feel like, you know, as a counting on four notes to count in a song and to, to do like a, a half, half of that counting, you know, that is a, like a reference almost to the remaining members of the band. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. An allusion to the idea that like, you know, we're, we're all here, but we're not quite all here. You know, I think, yeah. I think that there is, um, there's footage of John that they've used. Uh, I think it's in the documentary rather than the music video, but, uh, there's footage of John they've used from i think it's the hey jude recording session and uh he is his face is sort of generally it's slightly obscured 
Um, so he's kind of like hit, his face is slightly hidden behind a microphone and the music stand. Um, I don't know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, which I thought was probably a deliberate choice because I think it's trying to stress, you know, he's here, but he's not quite here. You know, we're not, yeah. we're not trying to get away with the idea that this is, you know, 100% Beatles. They're being respectful and sort of paying homage in the best way they know how. And I think all those little things like that are being very well judged in general. I completely agree. Yeah, being respectful is, is exactly it. I felt the same way and I made the same note looking at that documentary. I think that they, they're not trying to um, present it as something that it's not. I think they've made some very smart, creative choices around what footage they use to sort of present John as being part of this recording without making it seem like he was in the room with them. The other thing as well I wanted to um, mention about the single is I'm waiting for someone to figure out what is said right at the end of the song. So right. as the song ends and fades out, you, I can just about make out that there's someone says something and it's probably just like a studio, bit of studio noise, you know, someone finishing a take or something. But to have left it in, it feels like it would be good to really know what that is. Yeah, of course, because, you know, obviously that's no accident. So, um, yeah. Yeah. And I'm not expecting like a big Easter egg like they, they included at the end of Free as a Bird, but, you know, it would be good to... um to, to, good to know. What if you play it backwards and it says Paul is dead? Yes, <laughs> that's what we were all hoping for, let's be honest. <laughs> One of the things I was going to ask you was, um, you saw the 12-minute documentary. Did you see it when it was uh, shown on The One Show as the UK premiere? No, I saw it on uh, YouTube later on. Well, one of the brilliant things that you missed by it being on The One Show uh, was that they, they showed the 12-minute documentary uh, and then there's the story in the documentary about how the, the string orchestra that recorded for uh, the song didn't actually know what song it was yeah. that they were recording for they were kept in the dark about that what the one show did was they tracked down he, you can see him in the documentary his name is charlie bisharat oh i saw he's got a name he's one of the violinists. he's got a name tag on while he's playing right that's right yeah, I yeah. Noticed, yeah. so what they did was they they tracked him down and, and as we were watching the as, as you know as an audience the tv audience we were watching the documentary they had set up a camera on him so that he could see that for the first time at the same time as it was broadcast to get his live reaction to him finally realizing that he is playing on the very last Beatles track. Yeah. He, he was fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> like, and right. there's a couple of things there <laughs> that um, they kind of, I mean, first of all, when you track someone down and uh, he knows he's doing something <laughs> like important when he's recording that and i think he recorded like a year before or something or a year and a half before yeah. but when you set a camera on him like he, he knows that this is for something big so he's probably already kind of guessed at that point what it was for mm. um so it wasn't mass probably a massive surprise for him um but also they they introduce him afterwards and talk to him very very briefly and and say like you know you have played on loads of iconic songs like you know you worked with some of the greatest film composers and you played in the titanic soundtrack so actually, it's not like he's a competition winner. Right? He's a very talented <laughs> person. Right? Yeah. Like, he's he's already got lots and lots of like gr fantastic credits to his name, and this is just one more of them. So there was no 
they, they they basically showed the footage of him watching it for the first time when he appears on screen and there's just no reaction. And then they asked him a couple of questions afterwards and they were like, okay, great, thanks for speaking to you. And he just left. And it was a real like, I think they were really hoping for some like amazing shock moment and stuff just didn't deliver at all. Yeah, I think uh, actually that's in, that's in a grand old tradition of um, uh, the sort of classical musicians who played on Beatles songs in the sixties were quite unimpressed by the yeah. whole thing in general. That like they <laughs> yeah. and if, so a lot of them kind of felt like it was beneath them and had to be and things like had to be really cajoled into doing things that they, they didn't really think were were proper. You know, so things like the big uh, the big ascending. Uh, go from your lowest note to your highest note thing on a day in the life you know a lot of them needed a lot of cajoling and talking into that kind of thing um but yeah that it, in general it's uh, that's quite nice that you have someone and and probably more more than one of them who are just like oh okay the beatles is it good fine yeah well no i, I mean to, like and to be fair sorry and i don't I, I don't want to misrepresent him because he was like oh this is fantastic like it was great but but it was. He, I feel like he'd already come to terms with the news right. by the time he was interviewed. <laughs> and I think what they wanted was to have him in a state of excitement where he'd just found out. And I think, you know, he was, he was, he'd just very much taken it in his stride. <laughs> but anyway, the other, one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about, about the documentary and also just about the release of the single itself is um, it, it does feel like the narrative around why the song is coming out now rather than back in 1995 has been repositioned slightly. Mm. So... I think we always have always, we have always understood that they were working on the song. George didn't like the song, and and that was the main reason why it was shelved. Um, you know, George playing up to his sort of cranky reputation um, decided he'd had enough, and then they just left it there. There's been a uh, understandably uh, a big shift in the framing of that to the technology wasn't able to make it right at that time and now we finally have the right technology to do it justice yeah it does seem that way um so so like what one of the interesting things about this whole project is that paul said in a documentary about jeff lynn from 2012 called mr blue sky that uh yeah we there was a third one we were doing but george went off it but there were three that we liked um freezer bird real love so those were the two that we did. And there was another one that we started working on, but George went off it. <sighs> fucking hell. Fucking rubbish, this is. It was like, no, George, this is John. It's still fucking rubbish, you know. Oh, okay, then. <laughs> so that one, that one's still lingering around somewhere. I'm going to nick in with Jeff and do it, finish it one of these days. Um, and it's, it's nice that that, that the key to the end of the Beatles has been sitting around for eleven years, hiding in plain sight in this documentary about Jeff Lynn. You know, it's all it's all there. Okay. You know, because because I I've always I, like, I'm very familiar with that clip, but for me, it's just always been quite a funny YouTube clip where Paul does a bit of an impression of George, and uh, you know, yeah. and it's quite it's quite a funny thing about George being a bit grumpy. Um, uh, but it, it never occurred to me really that they would do anything with the song. Or, or that anyone really yeah. had an appetite to do anything with the song, but actually, one of the things about this, uh, the, the voiceover in the documentary, is that um, there's sort of, sort of extended bit of that audio in uh, the BBC radio series called Eras, which is on BBC Sounds now. I'll put a link in the description. And um, so they released uh, the same day as the song. They released 
the final episode of it. So it's a, it's a kind of it's Martin Freeman presenting it, and it's sort of going through the sort of various e- eras of the Beatles' career. The last one being now and then, and it has slightly longer audio of the voiceover from this documentary, in which Paul gives a bit more clarity about it, where he says, "Well, I rung up Olivia and said, look, I." Uh, we know that George didn't like it, uh, but we both know why George didn't like it. It was because of this technical thing, you know. And so Olivia very much seems to go along with that. So basically, like, uh, yes, it does seem to be being reframed, but Olivia and Danny seem perfectly happy with the thing, and that's good enough for me. Uh, I don't, I don't, yeah, I, exactly, I don't yeah. think there's any, there's, there's no need for me to interrogate it much further than that. But it, but it, yes, it is certainly being reframed a little bit, just as you know, get, yeah. the, the get back documentary is a reframing of what we, uh, how we perceived it before. You know, all of these things are just sort of shifting perceptions. You know, it's as we've discussed a few times when we've talked about documentaries, it's not necessarily about what is a fact and what is not as a, what is not a fact. It's more about that um, different perceptions add to your overall your overall personal perception of the thing. Yeah, exactly that. And I think I also feel like both both of those things can be true, right? The, the, the technical issue was the reason why George was frustrated and focusing on one part of that event doesn't doesn't necessarily make the other thing untrue either. It's just um, it, it makes sense now that the focus is on the technology because, well, because that's, I guess, what also makes it exciting. And one, one of the things that that whole thing does lead to is one of my favorite moments in the 12-minute documentary, uh, which is when uh, we have footage from the anthology era of George talking about the use of computers to finish something. And he says, you you can use a computer to do all of that, and it, but it opens up a whole other... And then he says, Kessel of Fish. And then Paul says, Can of Worms? And then Ringo basically says, A Year of Work? Which <laughs> <laughs> is a really neat insight into how they all individually think that sentence should be finished. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, it, it, well, it's a nice bit of sort of Beatle banter where they're sort of finishing each other's yeah. sentences. You know, that's computer stuff. You know, I was telling you a year ago, Jeff was doing this thing on his computer, but it opens up a whole other kettle of fish. Can of Worms? To... But will it open another year of work? But also, you know, I like the fact that George is saying, oh, computers are going to be a big deal. You know, he's uh, j- yes. just so ahead of his time, you know, like like when <laughs> like when David Bowie predicted the Internet will change everything. Yeah, you know? of course. Um, you know, George George was predicting computers would be significant, you know. But I think the difference there is that when David Bowie says it is um, like, you know, what an exciting time and what an opportunity. There's so much potential, Jay. And George is kind of saying it as, Computers are going to be a big thing, and I can't really be done with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, on, on his like, there's there's bits from the uh, around his last album, uh, Brainwashed, the posthumous album was re- there was a little bit of documentary footage that was released, sort of maybe fifteen minutes or so, and there are bits in that where I think he's sort of talking about mobile phones and how he thinks they're rubbish and he hates them, you know, <laughs> <laughs> which is just fantastic. I love it. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, what they've done with the anthology footage, and there's quite a lot of new footage here from the 90s, which is great. For me, it sort of suggests a bit of a way forward with it um, because it's been restored and it looks a lot better uh, than it did. One of the things about the anthology is that, you know, I think people have been saying for a few years, well, they should just release the Beatles anthology to Netflix or Disney Plus or whatever if if they sort of want this younger audience to come along. I've always thought... Yes, but the problem with that is that the talking heads, i.e. the contemporary interviews, look outdated now because they were shot 30 years ago. They've all got sort of 90s hair and clothes, 
in fact, you know, in fact, they were still wearing sort of eighties <laughs> hair and clothes in the nineties, <laughs> you know? Um, so I, I, you know, I'm not sure like the, the, the young audience is going to get it, but it did occur to me sort of looking at this restored footage because it looks lovely. All this footage of them in the studio is that maybe what you could do is a new documentary that is about the making of free as a bird, real love. And now and then, all with restored footage, because there's obviously a lot of footage you can tell. So, I mean, by the way, they're all in the footage going around filming each other with camcorders, you know. So, let's, you know, let's dig that out and restore it. I'm sure that's been done. Yeah. Um, and there's lots of restored footage in the music video and in other, uh, and, and, and in the documentary. So, things like the paperback writer video and the, and the Hey Jude recording sessions. Uh, there's a little bit of, footage from the Hey Jude performance on the David Frost show that doesn't look to have been restored and they like quite quickly cut away from it because you can kind of tell the difference. <laughs> but I, I kind of think that if you made a new documentary uh, about the making of those three songs, that would kind of pave the way for a sort of remastered anthology because it, it would get people used to the idea that the 90s was an era of the Beatles, that they were doing things creatively in the 90s. And so then what you can do is take the footage, uh, the interview footage that was shot in the 90s, remaster that, but it can then be viewed alongside the 60s interviews that are in that documentary uh, and just to be uh, just to be seen as footage from an era of the Beatles, if you know what I mean. Yes. And so it's all archive footage at that point, right? Right, exactly. And it would kind of make sense that way. And, and of course, as part of that project, I'm sure you would also dig up new things, put new things in, restore other, other things and change the whole thing around. You know, you wouldn't necessarily just take the exact same TV show and, and restore what's there. I'm sure there'd be things in there you could you take the opportunity to sort of improve and augment and things like that. I, I think that's true. And I think what's really exciting about that is the fact that that work has gone into these this documentary and that video goes to show the scope of the potential for what is coming further down the line that we still don't even know about yet. Um, because you can guarantee there is something, whatever that is. And I guess that's a, it's a nice way to think about this project, the Now and Then project, and the, the, the single, the video, the documentary, the, th the three things that have landed with us this week. It's a nice way to think of that as much as marking the end of the Beatles' career officially, but also the start of a new beginning of other things and new things to be excited about that will be released down the pipeline, which is a nice way of looking at it and also probably a nice way to end the, the discussion on it and, and throw it out to anybody listening now. As always, we'd love for you to get in touch with us with your thoughts on the, the song, the video, the documentary, and also your hopes for what you might like to see uh, from some of this restored footage further down the line. As always, you can reach us on all the usual social media platforms. We are at Beatles Films Pod. Uh, you can also leave us a five-star rating or a review on your podcast listening platform of choice. Otherwise, we'll be back to our usual scheduled programming and uh, we'll see you again for another episode soon. Thanks for listening again and bye-bye. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.